Turning in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. I want to read at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Let's stop reading there and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today from your word, this word that is forever settled in heaven, these scriptures that have the power to cause us to see our need, whether we're saved or whether we're lost, this word that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that has the power to discern even the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And we pray that we might allow this word, that we might allow you through this word to do that today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In our recent messages on Sunday morning, looking at Israel's words to Joseph in Genesis chapter 49, we've been thinking about Joseph as a very detailed type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this morning, we want to look at Joseph not as a type of Christ, but as a man, a man of like passions as we are. As we come to these verses in chapter 41, Joseph has been in a trial. And he's been in that trial for 13 years. In Genesis 37, in verse 2, we pick up Joseph's life at the age of 17. And it's here in this chapter that he is sold into slavery by his brethren at that point. And the next time that we find Joseph's age is here in chapter 41 and verse 46 where he's been brought out of prison by Pharaoh and he's standing before the king at the age of 30. Joseph has been in Egypt for 13 years. He's been in this trial for 13 years. For some period of time, he was in Potiphar's house, but I believe that the majority of this time, the majority of these 13 years, Joseph was in prison. And I would remind you of what we have seen in Psalm 105 concerning Joseph. In that psalm, the Spirit of God gives us additional information that we don't have here in the book of Genesis. In fact, I'd like for us to turn over to Psalm 105, if you will, um, because it's on the way to another scripture that we want to see in connection with it. Psalm 105 in verse 
18, we've read there concerning Joseph's, Joseph whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. We talked about verse 18 and the meaning of those words last week. But the verse that we haven't talked about as of yet is verse 19 where we read, until the time that his word came. That's the Lord's word. The word of the Lord tried him. Here we are plainly told that Joseph's time in prison, but I believe it applies to all of his 13 years as well. But Joseph's time was a trial. And there in the prison... The word of the Lord tried Joseph. I want you to notice that word tried. It's word uh, 6884 in your Strong's Concordance Hebrew Dictionary. And it means to refine. It means to test and prove true. And so... God, as we sing and as the choir sings, never tries a man without purpose or plan. And so the purpose of Joseph's imprisonment and indeed all of his 13 years in Egypt was to refine him and test him and prove him true to the Lord God of Israel. In his commentary on Psalm 105, and I believe we mentioned this last week, John Phillips points out that the word he is the Hebrew word for soul. And that's worth noting because that suggests to us that Joseph's trial had two components to it. There was the physical component. That's the first part of verse 18, whose feet they hurt with fetters. But then there was the spiritual component of it. He, his soul was laid in iron. There in that prison in Egypt, this trial pressured Joseph's body, it pressured his mind, and it pressured his soul. That is a fiery trial. It's the kind of trial that Peter writes about in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12, where he says, Beloved, think it not strange... Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. And Joseph was a partaker of Christ's sufferings as we've seen in, in uh, previous messages. Joseph was in a fiery trial. And the purpose of the trial was to test him and try him and prove and purge away the dross in Joseph's life. Now, there's a verse that's very important for us to see. Um, keep your place where we can look back at Psalm 105 and turn over to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, and 
verse 3. And he, that is the Lord, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Now the reason that we've come here is because of something that to me, it's very precious and encouraging to think about. Notice the word refiner. It's word 6884. It's the same word that's translated tried concerning Joseph back in Psalm 105 in verse 18. That tells us that Joseph's trial came from the refiner. It came from the Lord and... Since the Spirit of God uses the same word for the refiner and the trial, that means that the refiner is identified with the trial. It means that he's with Joseph in the midst of the trial. The connection between those two words is, is graphically demonstrated for us in Daniel chapter 3 where we see Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And in the fiery furnace, who is with them? You remember Nebuchadnezzar says, I see a fourth man in there. He's the son of God. And so the refiner not only sits by the fire to control the heat of the trial, he's in the trial with his child. Blessed be his name. And so that brings us to a question. What was the dross in Joseph's life? What was it that needed to be refined in this man's life? Well, we are specifically told. But I would like to suggest a thought to you about it. And the thought is that the dross in this man's life was a sense of pride. Look back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And look at verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Jacob made no secret of his partiality toward Joseph. It was obvious. Jacob's son saw it. And that partiality of Jacob for Joseph very possibly resulted in pride in Joseph's life. Look at verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaves stood also upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. Now Joseph's brethren did bow down to him. We've studied that. 
But his presentation of these dreams to his brothers didn't help them. His reciting of his dreams to them just increased their hatred for him. In fact, we can sense a certain level of pride here in Joseph's words. He says in verse 6, hear. That's a command. He's commanding his brothers. You need to hear what I've got to say. Hear, I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. In verse 7, Joseph says, uh, Lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. Behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Look at verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Now it's interesting in verse 10 that Jacob rebukes Joseph when he told this dream to him and to his brothers. And I believe Jacob's rebu rebuke is not because he doubted that there was a message in the dream. It's very evident that Jacob understands, at least in some measure, what Joseph's dream is telling. I believe the rebuke is not of the dream, but of the way in which it's presented. Joseph, it seems, is presenting truth in the energy of the flesh. He's presenting truth in the pride of his heart as his father's favorite son, and it cuts off the ears of his brothers. There's a lesson to be learned in that. There is a way to present the truth to people. You see, there's a way to present the truth that exalts ourselves and abases those around us. There's a way to present the truth that sort of makes us the big eye and the people around us, the little you. And the result is to cut their ears off where they aren't interested in anything that we've got to say. And I would suggest the thought that this is perhaps the dross in Joseph's life, a sense of pride because of the position that he occupies in that household above his brethren, above his firstborn brother. This is the dross that the refiner needed to try and sit by the fire to burn out of Joseph's life because God had a job for Joseph to do, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't use him until he tried him. And so for 13 years, 13 in the Bible is the number of rebellion. There was some rebellion in Joseph's life that needed to be dealt with. And so for 13 years, the refiner, the Lord, sits by the fire there in Egypt as a refiner and purifier of silver that he might purify Joseph and purge him as gold and silver that Joseph might offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And immediately, as soon as Joseph is brought out of the prison, let's go back to chapter 41. Immediately, as Joseph is brought out of the prison, he has an opportunity to offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Very important to notice something here. Joseph's been in that prison for nearly 13 years. He's been in this trial for 13 years. He comes out of the trial. 
He's brought out of the prison. He's brought before Pharaoh. And at the very moment that Joseph has this opportunity to offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness, Satan is there to tempt him. Satan's there to appeal to the weakness of his flesh. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Satan is the enticer. And he knows exactly how to place in front of us the very things that will entice us. When Pharaoh sends for Joseph, Satan, through Pharaoh's words, launches an attack against Joseph. One of the times in our life when we're vulnerable is after being delivered from some trial or difficulty or problem, some set of circumstances that's been pressing in upon us. During the trial or the difficulty, we learn to be dependent upon the Lord. And we learn to lean upon Him. We learn to cast ourselves upon Him and wait on Him to move and work on our behalf. And when the Lord brings us through the trial or the difficulty, one of the first things that we feel is relief. The difficulty is past. The storm is over. The pressure that has been upon us, perhaps pressed us out of measure, above strength in body and mind and soul. The pressure that has been so great that perhaps we despaired even of life Trials can get that way. It's gone. And we feel this sense of relief. And it's perfectly natural to feel that. But in that sense of relief, there's a danger. And the danger is that we will, in our relief, forsake the attitude of dependence that we learned in the trial. And just for an instant, let down our guard. You ever come to the conclusion that the Christian life is very, very difficult? It is a warfare. It is a warfare. And, and, and the, the warfare at times is so subtle. You see, our tendency is to believe. Now, we wouldn't ever verbalize it. Our tendency is to believe that prayer and dependence upon the Lord Oh, that's for the trials of life. I mean, we can handle the good times, right? We can handle life when, when it's going along the way it should. It's just in the trials. It's just in the storms that we need to depend upon the Lord. And then when the storm's over, we have this tendency to revert back to this life of independence. And so in the trials and the storms and the circumstances of life, when the Lord is seeking to do a work, simultaneously Satan is there in the trial tempting and working to cast doubt upon the goodness of God to draw us away from dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Without me, ye can do nothing. And I think we see this in Joseph's life. Joseph begins his 13 years in the school of God, in the house of Pharaoh, the classroom there, if you will. And whereas he was exalted in his father's house, he's a servant in Potiphar's house. And the Lord begins to teach Joseph about being a servant. And as Joseph humbles himself under the mighty hand of God, 
God exalts him and puts him over Potiphar's house. There's a thought that we ought to keep in mind. You will never be big enough to be over Pharaoh's house until you are small enough to be over Potiphar's house. And in the midst of God working in the trial, we see Satan working in the trial. He's working through Potiphar's wife, who's appealing to Joseph's flesh, trying to get Joseph to commit adultery with her. Joseph claims victory through dependence upon the word of God. How then, he said, can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? But in the midst of victory, the attack continues. It's a very critical point to see. Joseph has done right. Sometimes we think when we do right, the problems are done. Joseph has done right. He's met the temptation presented by Potiphar's wife with the word of God. He's done exactly what the word of God says. He has fled fornication. He's fled youthful lust. He's made no provision for, for the uh, flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And yet Satan is relentless in his attack. He attacks through the false accusation of Potiphar's wife. Now maybe you're thinking about James 4, 7, where we read, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will. But for how long? Wouldn't it be nice if it was a one-time trial? We resist the devil and he says, well, I'm just going to push on and find somebody else. No. How long will he flee? Well, there's an answer to that question. And the answer is in the life of of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, we read about the temptation of the Savior. The detail of the temptation is in Matthew and Luke. And we find that Satan tempts the Lord Jesus, if thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. The Lord resists. And how does he resist? With the word of God. Jesus answered, him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And then Satan tempts him again. He takes the Lord Jesus up to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil says, all this power will I give thee in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And again, the Lord resists with the word of God. Jesus answered, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then Satan takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, cast thyself down. And the Lord resists again with the word of God. These are example of how we're to resist Jesus said unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. But this wasn't all of the temptation. Mark and Luke tell us that the Lord Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days. We know only about these three temptations, but this went on for 40 days. Satan tempting, the Lord resisting, the devil fleeing, coming back. And Luke tells us something that Matthew and Mark don't tell us. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 13. 
And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed for a season. He departed for a season. How long is a season? It's an undetermined amount of time. It might be seconds. It might be minutes. It might be hours. The Lord Jesus had resisted the devil. And he fled for a season. And then he was right back. We see this in the life of Joseph. He resists the devil with the word of God. And then the devil comes right back through the false accusation of Potiphar's wife. And Joseph sent to jail. Joseph did right. And he went to prison. We don't want to go by that too quickly. Because so many times we have this mentality that if we do right for the Lord, then everything's going to be fine. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And in our minds, though, we have this idea of physical blessing. We do right for the Lord. We have these blessings. Um, No problems, no troubles, no difficulties. But God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. Because when we do right for the Lord, the Lord will do what is right for us. Always. And what is right for us may be difficulties and problems and trials. What was right for Joseph was going to prison. And you can just hear the devil there in the prison house telling Joseph, well, Look around. This is what serving the Lord got you. This is what obedience to the Lord got you. Satan's always seeking to call into question the goodness of God. Yea, hath God said. Folks, the goodness of God is not measured by our circumstances. The goodness of God is measured in one place. The cross. If you want to look for the goodness of God, if you want to look for the love of God, there's one place, the cross of Calvary, where the Lord Jesus took our sin upon himself and shed his blood that we might be saved, where he delivered us from so great a death. And so Joseph is sent to prison. He's faithful. He's put in charge of the prisoners. Two of the prisoners that he's put in charge of are the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt. And we talked, we've talked before about what it meant to be in charge of these prisoners. Look at Genesis chapter 40. Look back a page and verse 3. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. And they continued to season and ward. Notice the word bound. It means to bind with cords. It's the same word that's translated hurt that we read a few minutes ago in Psalm 105 and verse 18. And so even though Joseph was in charge of the prisoners, it didn't keep him from being bound and hurt and afflicted with cords. Perhaps he was free to move around during the day and do what 
needed to be done, and at night he was bound again. But notice what else it meant to have the prisoners committed to your hand. Verse 4, the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. That word serve means to minister. Having these prisoners committed into your hand, being in charge in the prison in Egypt meant being a servant. Isn't that interesting? Being the greatest in the prison in Egypt meant being the servant of all. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 23 and verse 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Luke 22, 26 and 27, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he that is chief as he that does serve. And then the Lord said in verse 27, I am among you as he that served. Here is Joseph, the greatest in the prison in Egypt. And what is he there? He's a servant. Is there a pattern? Is there a pattern that we can see here in the life of Joseph? He was the greatest in his father Jacob's house. Loved above all his brothers. He had this coat of many colors that identified him wherever he went. What did he do in his position as the greatest in his father's house? He lorded it over his brothers to the point that they hated him. Well, what did Joseph learn about what it meant to be the greatest in Potiphar's house? He learned that being the greatest was being a servant. What did he learn about what it meant to be the greatest in the prison? He learned again that being in that position, being the greatest, was being a servant. Joseph needed to learn about being a servant. And I believe that's probably the greatest need in the lives of God's people today. To learn to be a servant. But he needed to learn something else. The butler and the baker both dreamed a dream. And it concerned them to the point that their countenances were obviously altered. They were sad. And so Joseph asked them. And they told him, well, we've dreamed a dream. There's no interpreter of it. How did Joseph deal with dreams in his father's house? Here, he said to his brothers, here I pray you the dream which I have dreamed. Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. How did Joseph deal with dreams here in the prison in Egypt? Look at chapter 40 and verse 8. And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me them, I pray you. In his father's house, where Joseph was chief, it was I and my. As a servant in the prison in Egypt, it was God. Do not interpretations belong to God. And so God is working here. He's sitting by the fire. He's turning up the heat as necessary. He's working in the trials in Egypt, working as a refiner of silver and gold in Joseph's life. But Satan's working too. He's seeking to undo what Joseph has learned 
in the prison. He's seeking to get Joseph to leave the place of dependence upon God and depend upon man. Look at uh, chapter 40 and verse 14. Joseph says to the butler, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into, this, into the dungeon. Here's Joseph looking to man to help him. We always want out of the trial, don't we? We're always looking for a way out of the trial. And what did Joseph learn about depending upon man? He learned that the arm of flesh will fail you, as we say. You dare not trust your own. Look at verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him? And it came to pass at the end of two full years. You see, the other thing that Joseph had to learn, took him two more years to learn it. He learned that deliverance doesn't come from man. It comes from God. And it comes in God's time. In those two years, Joseph learned what David learned. And what David expressed in Psalm 62 and verse 5. My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. So after 13 years of the word of God trying Joseph, he's ready to stand before Pharaoh. But at the moment of deliverance, Satan's right there. He's been there in the trial. Now he's there at the moment of deliverance, speaking through Pharaoh. Look at again at chapter 41 and verse 15. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. The king of Egypt tells Joseph, this dream I've had, no one can interpret it. That means that the smartest people, the smartest men in all the land of Egypt, the smartest men in the greatest nation on earth cannot interpret the king's dream. That's how Pharaoh begins his words to Joseph. Now, you can just feel it building, can't you? And then he says this, I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Here's Joseph, this man who's been in prison for ever so many years, and he's called from the dungeon, and he's brought before the king, and the king says, I've heard of you. I've heard of you. You know, isn't, isn't it, doesn't it sort of boost you up when there's some congressman or some legislator in Raleigh? I've heard of you. Well, I know you. That's the way our heart works. We get puffed up. I've heard of you. I've heard that you can understand and interpret dreams. And what we want to notice is that Satan is not only alive and well and working in the storm, he's working when the storm is over. Here in this moment of deliverance, Joseph is being tempted by Satan. He's being tempted 
through the, his, his own heart, through the very thing that has been a weakness in his life, the pride of his heart, it would be hard for the flesh not to get puffed up here. Standing before Pharaoh in his court, standing before the wisest men of Egypt, and they couldn't tell the king his dream. And then having the king look at you and say, I've heard of you. But after 13 years of being tested by the word of God, after 13 years of God trying and proving and refining and purging the dross from Joseph's life, there's no hesitation in Joseph's answer. Look at verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, It is not in me. It's not in me. Thirteen years earlier, it was I and my. I have dreamed a dream. My dream. I've had another dream. Here Joseph said, it's not in me. Here, it's God. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Thirteen years earlier, Joseph had all the answers. You know what he learned in those thirteen years of trial? He's got none of the answers. But he knows the one who does have the answers. It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. In the prison house, it was God. Do not interpretations belong to God. Those were Joseph's words to the prisoners. Those were his words to the butler and the baker. And in the palace of the king... It was God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Joseph learned what the Apostle Paul had learned. Philippians chapter 4. Paul said, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Joseph had learned how to be abased. He learned that in the trial. And he learned how to abound when he came out of the trial. Because the one who sustained and blessed, the one who was the same, the one who was the same in the prison and in the palace, the one who was the refiner and the trial was God. And so in the prison and in the palace, Joseph's message was the same. He didn't have one message for the prisoners. He didn't have one message for the palace. He had one message. And so Joseph is brought before Pharaoh after 13 years of being tried. And immediately in Joseph's words in verse 16, we see the effect of those 13 years. 13 years in the school of God. 13 years of preparation. And we see it throughout the rest of his life. Look at chapter 45. Chapter 45. Here Joseph reveals himself to his brethren. Notice what he says in verse 5. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. 
For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be neither earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Now I can see testing comes from above. God tries his children and he purges in love. Joseph learned that. Look at chapter 50 and verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And he sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And his brethren, verse 18, <clears throat> also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? He was given the commands in Genesis chapter 37, wasn't he? Hear, I pray you. Hear, I pray you this dream. Here, after 13 years of trial, 13 years of the refiner, Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for, I am, in the, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Joseph has come forth from the fire and offered unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Tribulation has worked patience in Joseph's life. The trial of Joseph's faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it was tried with fire, has been found unto the praise and honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, are you in the fire this morning? Are you in the fire? The Lord Jesus is sitting by that fire. He's the refiner. He's the trial. And he's controlling the intensity of the heat of the trial. And he's there with you in the midst of the trial. And he can't turn the heat up any to a point that he cannot feel that heat. We have not a high priest that cannot be, uh, that, that's not touched by the feeling of our infirmity. And his purpose in your life and in my life is the same as it was in the life of Joseph. To be as a refiner and purifier of silver. That he might pur purify and purge you and me as gold and silver. That we might offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. 
that the trial of our faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be unto the praise and honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph. We thank you for the detail that you've put here in your word concerning this man. He was a man of like passions, like as we are. We pray that we would learn in the trials of life. We pray that we would learn as the refiner sits by the fire, that we would learn the lessons, that we would allow you to remove the dross and the things that hinder our love and our obedience and our service to you. Allow those things to be burned away. We thank you that you work in our lives. It's a, it is a measure of your love for us that we might be conformed to the image of your son. We pray that you might speak to any here who are lost today. You're working in the circumstances of their lives to cause them to see their need to be saved, to cause them to see that there is no hope apart from you, that they need to lay down their rebellion and surrender their hearts to you and trust you as their Savior. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.